0: We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you would like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar Archives. Please visit home.edWeb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello everyone, and welcome to our Ed Webinar, Unlocking Potential Word by Word, How Building Knowledge Right Builds Equity. We are so thrilled you're joining us today as we have the wonderful Natalie Wexler, Allie Rice, and Dr. Matt Patterson to present this incredibly valuable information today. My name is Laura Almazara, and I work on the literacy team at Amplify. Before I get started introducing our wonderful speakers, I wanted to invite you to join us for Amplify's newest symposium, which takes place next month. It's called Science of Reading the Symposium, What Science of Reading Means Now. We're having such esteemed guests as Dr. Kimiona Burke, Claude. Claude Goldenberg, Kareem Weaver, Dr. Sonia Cabell, and many others. Uh, And that'll take place on Tuesday, October 10th from 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Natalie will also be joining us again there. So if you'd love to hear more from her, that's a great way to do it. Uh, And there we'll we'll be sharing how you can navigate and sustain a shift to the science of reading in your school, including how to do that with knowledge building and why that's so critical and a matter of equity. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us today. We are beyond thrilled to have Natalie Wexler, Allie Rice, and Dr. Matt Patterson with us to discuss how building knowledge right builds equity. Natalie Wexler is an education writer and the author of The Knowledge Gap, The Hidden Cause of America's Broken Education System and How to Fix It. She is also the co-author with Judith C. hawkman I might have said that wrong, of The Writing Revolution, A Guide to Advancing Thinking Through Writing in All Subjects and Grades, as well as a senior contributor to Forbes, Dot com and the host of season one of the Knowledge Matters podcast, which just came out this summer and is absolutely incredible. We, we definitely encourage you to check that out. Uh, Natalie's articles and essays on education and other topics have appeared in The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and other publications. Next we have the wonderful Allie Rice, who is a proud native of Kansas City and a dedicated education professional. She serves as a district elementary ELA curriculum coach for Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools, supporting 28 elementary schools with core reading and writing instruction. Allie holds a master's degree in curriculum and instruction and a specialist degree in educational administration, further underscoring her commitment to educational excellence. And we're so excited to share that in 2022, Allie was honored as a recipient of the first ever Amplify Star of excuse me, Science of Reading Star Award for district leadership, which further recognizes her exceptional contributions to advancing literacy education in her school district. And last but certainly not least, we have Matt Patterson uh, joining us today. He has a PhD. Dr. Patterson is the assistant superintendent of the West Jefferson Hill School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Recognizing the need for change, Dr. Patterson and his colleagues transitioned the K-8 district From a disjointed approach to literacy instruction to one that offers all children evidence-based instruction. Three years later, the district is experiencing rapid sustained gains in reading achievement and a higher percentage of students reading at or above benchmark at the end of second grade, which is incredible. As the fastest growing district in western Pennsylvania, West Jefferson Hills has established numerous collaborative partnerships with other districts to provide more students with proven evidence-based literacy instruction grounded in science. Dr. Patterson earned a bachelor's degree in elementary education, a master's degree in school administration, a Pennsylvania superintendent letter of eligibility, and a PhD in organizational learning from Gannon University. Welcome Natalie, Allie, and Matt.
1: Thank you, and I'm gonna plunge right in because um, I wanna just lay the groundwork here for Matt and Allie to tell us about their experiences in their school districts. Um, but to start, uh, we have we're doing this webinar against a background of stagnant or declining reading scores on the National Assessment for Educational Progress, that test that's given every couple of years, going back a long way now. Um, we are back to where we were in 1992, and as you can see from this these graphs for grades four and eight. Um, Things were not great even before the pandemic. Uh, Scores were already stagnant and even declining. And of course, the pandemic made things worse. And these numbers may be a little hard to interpret, but another way of looking at this is only about a third of students are scoring proficient or above on these reading tests. And about a third and actually more uh, in some cases are are scoring below the basic level. So we have a serious problem with reading. And to make matters worse, the gap between high and low scorers on these tests are that that gap has been getting steadily wider, basically driven by the low scorers doing worse uh, over the years. So who are the students who are scoring low on these tests? Well, we know some things about them, and we know that income poverty is a key factor, not the only factor, but you can see that students who are wealthy or who are not eligible for free and reduced school meals, they score at 41% uh, proficient or above on the NAEP, and lower income students are scoring only 19% proficient or above, a, a fairly substantial gap. This is from 2022 for eighth grade reading. So in response to this dismal situation, most states um, have adopted some kind of reform uh, effort for reading instruction, either legislation or policy. And that reform has focused almost exclusively on improving phonics instruction, improving foundational skills instruction. This graph is from a review of 40 some states that had adopted such policies. And what we see is, yeah, you do get a bump you get a bump in third grade, fourth grade, but then after fifth grade, the, that bump fades out. And it's, kind of, it's pretty much like you didn't do that. You did not improve on instruction. And why is this happening? Well, it's not that kids forget how to decode words after fifth grade. The basic reason that scores start declining is that what becomes more important on tests and in school uh, for reading achievement is not just decoding ability, but also comprehension ability. And so, this suggests that we also need to change something in our approach to reading comprehension in addition to our approach to foundational skills. So, what is missing? Well, we conceive of, we have been conceiving of reading comprehension as a set of skills and strategies like finding the main idea or making inferences and having students practice those strategies on texts at their individual reading levels, which could be well below their grade levels on random topics, and the goal is not for them to acquire any particular knowledge of social studies or science or anything like that, but to master the skill, and the idea is that if they get really good at something like finding the main idea, they'll be able to use that skill to understand and gain knowledge from anything they read in the future. Well, we have some evidence that comprehension doesn't work that way, um, and one study I'd like to bring up that really sheds some light on this. and Uh, on what's been missing from reading comprehension and why students from lower-income families may be scoring lower on reading tests. So this study was done with uh, four-year-olds who were divided into four groups, well, no, they were not divided into four groups. They were from higher-income families and lower-income families. And first the researchers tested their knowledge of birds. What did they know about birds? And they discovered that the kids from higher income families knew more about birds. They had more opportunities to learn about birds. So the researchers read all of the kids a storybook about birds. They were made up birds, but they exhibited bird-like behaviors. So here's a sample page. A moa builds a nest because it is a bird. The moa looked in his nest and found his hat. And when they tested the kids' comprehension of this story afterwards, they found that the kids who knew more about birds, the kids from higher income families, did better on the reading comprehension test. But then what the researchers did was they equalized background knowledge by reading essentially the same story, but this time it wasn't about birds, it was about made-up animals called wugs. So it looked like this, a MOA builds a hive because it is a WUG. The MOA looked in his hive and found his hat. And in this way, they equalized background knowledge. None of the kids knew anything about WUGs because WUGs don't exist. And this time when they tested kids' comprehension of the story, there was no difference between the higher income kids and the lower income kids. So this suggests that a key factor in reading comprehension, and not just recall, but they were testing their ability to make inferences and things like that really has to do with your knowledge of the topic. The more you know about a topic, the better your reading comprehension is going to be, and we have lots of other evidence showing that. So how do we level the playing field between groups of kids who may have different amounts of background knowledge? Well, a crucial step in doing that is to adopt a curriculum that builds knowledge systematically by spending at least two or three weeks on topics in social studies, science, and the arts, including fiction, literature. And there are a number of different curricula out there now that do these things. They all have a couple of things in common. They're organized by topic, and they give all children in a classroom access to content, rich content that's at grade level or above, maybe through read-alouds and discussion, that students are not limited by their decoding ability to reading at a certain level. So we do have evidence now, growing evidence, that building kids' knowledge through this kind of curriculum boosts their reading comprehension. Um, There's one short-term study I'd like to tell you about, and short-term studies often are not going to work to show the results of building knowledge because building knowledge takes time, especially if you're measuring the results with standardized tests that have reading passages that are not related to the information, the knowledge that kids have acquired through the curriculum. So in this study, this was done with about 1,200 students in kindergarten. The curriculum that was studied was core knowledge language arts, and it covered in kindergarten topics like this, uh, the five senses, Native Americans, etc. So topics from social studies, from science, and also nursery rhymes and fables, things like that. And this study only covered the first semester. But still, they found some pretty interesting results on measures created by the researchers. So, these were measures related to what kids had learned. They got very significant effect sizes on vocabulary. These kids had increased their vocabulary as compared to a control group, increased their social studies knowledge. But also, they gave them some standardized reading comprehension tests. And to their surprise, they found statistically significant effects for vocabulary and science knowledge on those tests. And... The researcher, One of the researchers involved in this study, Sonia Cabell, was quite surprised and she called the results quite remarkable. Another study that was a much longer term study um, also found some really interesting results. So this study was done with over 500 students in Colorado. Um, and one group, so this was a randomized controlled trial, essentially, one group got a, a core knowledge curriculum from kindergarten. Another group similar group, but they got the usual, typical approach. After four years, four to seven years, so they waited until third grade and used the state reading test to see the results, and these kids, remember, had started getting this in kindergarten, they found that the gains made by the, this, the group that got the, the core knowledge curriculum, if they were extended across the entire United States, would put the United States among the top five countries on international reading tests. And currently the United States is at 15th. They also found, and this relates to the equity point, that the gaps between students in low and high income districts were eliminated uh, using this curriculum. And we need more studies like this, but this is certainly encouraging. So to illustrate how knowledge helps with reading comprehension, and it's not just knowledge of a topic. It's also general academic knowledge and vocabulary and the familiarity with the more complex sentence structure of written language. I was going to show you a paragraph from a newspaper article and... I'm going to ask you to think about what kinds of knowledge you're drawing on to make sense of this paragraph. And I should warn you, this paragraph is from several years ago. The president referred to in this paragraph is not the current president, but just put that to one side and and think about what kind of knowledge you're drawing on to understand it. So I'll give you a minute to read through this. So one layer of knowledge here is knowledge of a topic, and I would say that topic is the American legal system. You don't need deep knowledge, but you need some familiarity with words like appeal, Supreme Court, federal appeals court, grand jury, subpoena, district attorney. And this is not written for people who've been to law school. It's just assumed that general readers will have this knowledge. But if you don't, it's going to get harder to understand this paragraph. Um, And this is the same thing that can happen on standardized tests if kids are missing knowledge of the topic of the passage. And then beyond that, there are these two other kinds of knowledge, knowledge of academic, more sophisticated vocabulary, words like capacity and validity and obtained. And then there's complex sentence structure, especially that second sentence is really quite a long one with lots of clauses. And so if you're missing that knowledge, this paragraph really gets quite hard to understand. Now, we want kids to have that general knowledge, that knowledge of general academic vocabulary and complex syntax. And that's going to what be what enables them to understand passages on topics they haven't already learned about. But how do you acquire that knowledge? Well, really, the only way to do it is through learning about lots of topics, because that vocabulary, that syntax, it doesn't stick if you teach it in the abstract. And why is is it important to begin building this kind of knowledge early? Well, it has something to do with uh, what is called the Matthew effect in reading, which is a reference to the Gospel of Matthew, the part that says the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So every year that goes by, the gap between these two groups of readers gets wider and wider and harder to narrow. And by the time they reach upper grade levels, it can be very difficult to narrow it indeed. Um, The good readers, they are reading more complex texts. They're also better able to retain new vocabulary, new knowledge from those texts because they have something for it to stick to. And so they can kind of speed ahead. But the other readers, the other group, if they're not acquiring knowledge, they're going to fall farther and farther behind every year. One problem is it can look like that skills and strategies approach to comprehension is working at lower grade levels, but that is largely because the texts we're asking kids to read in second grade, third grade, don't assume a whole lot of academic knowledge and vocabulary. But then when they get to upper grade levels and the texts do start assuming that kind of knowledge, they can hit a wall. And writing instruction grounded in the content of the curriculum can also help with building knowledge. In fact, it can be really crucial. It can help at higher grade levels even if students reach higher grade levels without having had a lot of uh, knowledge building curriculum with pretty large gaps in their background knowledge. Writing instruction grounded in the content of the curriculum can help identify which gaps in background knowledge are holding them back and can also help compensate for that missing background knowledge because We know from many studies that when students write about the content of the curriculum, they are not about separate topics in a separate writing curriculum, not about personal experience, but about the content of the core curriculum, it boosts their learning in any subject. And of course, at lower grade levels, any grade level, writing instruction grounded in content can help by improving writing quality. When students have something to write about, when they are acquiring knowledge, Content knowledge to write about, then obviously their writing is going to improve because they have more to say. Uh, it can also, as the studies have shown us, boost learning and it can improve reading comprehension by building and reinforcing knowledge, but also by really familiarizing students with that complex syntax of written language if that's taught explicitly. So, if they can use that kind of syntax in their own writing, they're going to be in a much better position to understand it when they encounter it in their reading. So effective writing instruction can turbocharge any content-rich curriculum, and any good content-rich curriculum is going to link both reading and writing to the core topics in that curriculum. But if the curriculum is focused on comprehension skills, jumping from topic to topic because the focus is on skills, then it's probably not going to work to have students write about the content of the curriculum because they're probably not going to know enough about any one topic to enable them to write coherently about it. So that's a quick review of, of sort of the why behind knowledge building curriculum. I just want to pause here before we go to Allie and Matt to um, give you a few tips on how you can tell if a literacy program is building the kind of knowledge students need and deserve in a way that will work. So first of all, the curriculum should be coherent. It should not be jumping around from one topic to another and covering them in a superficial manner, in a fragmentary manner, um, because it's not going to give students the depth and the richness that they need to really acquire knowledge. And it can also lead to students getting the same content in different years because it's not organized coherently. The curriculum should also be specific about the content it's covering. It should be going fairly deeply into meaty topics rather than superficially into broad themes. Um, And it should be going deeply into topics not just in literature, but also history, science, um, the arts in general. It should also be cumulative, that is, um, that the topics should connect both within a school year and across grades, uh, unfolding in a logical order so that when students reach, say, fifth grade, they will have already acquired in preceding years the knowledge assumed by the curriculum at fifth grade. It's also going to revisit topics that have been covered in earlier grades, revisit those topics in later grades at greater depth in a spiraling way. And then it's also going to be easy to manage. It's going to cover not just building knowledge, but also those foundational skills, vocabulary, all of the things that kids need, writing, uh, all of the things that kids need to become fully literate. And so teachers will not have to juggle different programs. It will all be in a coherent whole. Um, and lastly, it should cu- cultivate knowledge of different cultures, different places in the world, uh, historical events. It should wide- range widely as well as go deep. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to stop sharing my slides and, um, and introduce again, Allie and Matt, um, and ask them to tell us about their districts themselves a little bit, uh, and also their their journeys with knowledge building curriculum. But let's start um, with Allie. Um, I'm going to do this alphabetically. So A comes before M. Um, Ali, if you could just tell us a little bit about your district, its demographics, um, its size, and your role in it, and then we'll go to Matt for him to do the same thing.
2: Uh, thanks, wow. Natalie. Um, I'm Allie. I work for Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. I am the elementary ELA uh, curriculum coach. So I we have 28 elementary schools and then two alternative sites that also serve elementary age students. So there's 30 places that I get to work with that I adore. Um, my district is a large urban district. We are 55% Hispanic, 24% African American, um, we are also um, uh, predominantly multilingual Our multilanguage learners um, in our district. We've got over 65 languages spoken in KCK, uh, Spanish, English and Spanish being the predominant, followed by Swahili and Karen and Burmese, I think, as well. So we are incredibly diverse. Um most of our kids are you know that title one designation- um free and reduced price lunch um and we are an absolutely uh tight knit community close knit community um everybody really really values the schools here, and um I couldn't be more excited to have the role that I have we our, we do have a knowledge building curriculum in our district. We uh, started that transition about four years ago with everybody finally all in
1: last year. So. Great. Thanks, Ali And Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your district and your role?
3: Sure, hi everybody. Uh, my name is Matt Patterson. Again, I'm the Assistant Superintendent at West Jefferson Hills School District. We are uh, about 10 miles outside of the city of Pittsburgh in the South Hills. We are a smaller suburban school district, but um, we are the fastest growing school district right at the moment in western Pennsylvania. Um, We just rolled 3,400 kids. So for us, you know, when I started here five years ago, we were less than 2,900. So we are growing very quickly and people are coming from all over. And like Allie, we have become a very diverse uh, school district as well. We have 16 different languages spoken in our school district that grows every single day from all over the world. Um, and so it's great that folks are coming here. In addition to that, we have uh, two K-to-2 buildings, a three-to-five school, a 6-8 middle and a 9/12 high school. Um, and our story really began about five years ago when we started our ELA review um, as a district that wanted something different. And at that time, I remember our teachers saying, you know, we were a typical basal skills based approach. Our scores were fine, um, but they weren't good enough. And our people said, we have to get better. We can do better than this. About 22% of our students receive free and reduced lunch. Um, so we are a fairly well resourced community. And like Allie's community, our, our, our schools are valued. Our families are very supportive, but we wanted to be better. And we said over and over again, we have to do something different. At that time, we did not know that different would lead us to knowledge building curriculum and science of reading approaches. And we're so glad that that happened uh, over time because we had been a typical uh, at the time we had three K to five buildings. We've since reconfigured. But every building was doing something different. Every teacher within every building was doing something different. We spent a lot of money on online programs to support uh support learning for a a core basal that was lacking in rigor, lacking in systematic instruction. And our people kept coming back to, it's, it's the same thing. Every program we looked at was a skill building program. That was a skill building program was the same thing. And they said, let's just keep what we've got. If that's the direction we're going to go, stay with what we have. It's working. We'll continue to make it work. But that's not what we want. And that ultimately led us to where we are today. So Again, we're really pleased to, to be a part of this uh, with everybody and the people that are online.
1: Great. Right. Great. Well, with that background, um, I would ask you to, to talk a little bit about what changes have seen, you've seen uh, since switching to a knowledge building curriculum. How, what's different, especially with regard to the question of equity in the classroom? So, Allie, do you want to begin with that?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. So we have seen a lot of positive changes. It's my favorite part of my job is getting celebrations from teachers, um, just really pushing their own expectations of what our students can do. Um, you know, on our, our our prep call, we had that kind of funny conversation where I shared that, you know, I, I have had some some people questioning, you know, if a knowledge-building curriculum with these giant vocabulary words and these worldly topics is um, necessarily appropriate for students in my district, right, where we are predominantly English language learners. um, And, you know, most of our kids stay right here in our community. Um, And it's been absolutely... um, invigorating to just see how people's mindsets about what our kids can do shift so quickly, right? If we, if we can just give it a try, I know it feels crazy, right? You know, I would go into talk with classroom teachers and say, I know it feels crazy to teach your kindergarten students words like precarious and to go into details about the, um, the way that sound travels through their ear, eardrum, and, you know, into their brain and all of these things and the receptors. Um, But our kids can do it. And they have. And even I think one of my favorite stories was from last year, the instructional coach at Hazel Grove shared with me about a second grade student who academically struggled, right? He struggled to write his name he didn't have all of his letter sounds, but by golly, when they did the end of unit assessment and um, they did turned it into a game on westward expansion, he was the top of the class. He knew he knew the most about westward expansion. Um, so I've got I've got countless stories like that, and we'll see which ones are kind of appropriate to share. But I want to give Matt a chance to talk too. So
3: well and it's it's interesting because we are um our two districts couldn't be any different from one another and there's a thousand miles in between us but i heard the same thing here from people you know why this isn't a program that's appropriate for well-resourced suburban kids well guess what we've got poor readers here too and this is a program that is good for all kids not just kids in any certain part of the country any sort of demographic um because the content that we are talking about is good for everybody and they can all access it because of the way that it is presented through, through the, through the program. But I want to talk, I want to tell a story about a little boy I met in kindergarten, similar to what Ali said that really demonstrates why we had to do this. And, and it was a great example of the Matthew effect that you spoke of. And so when he was in his skill building portion of his uh, reading block, he struggled, much like your little child, Allie, that we were speaking of a minute ago. And he was still work, working on building those foundational skills to get those words lifted up off the page. He would get it, and he would later go on to get it. And when they switched, when the classroom switched to the knowledge building portion of the lesson, that boy came alive. His hand was up. He was the expert in that room. And I thought at that time if this boy had to wait until he could get words lifted off the page proficiently, he would be waiting forever. He would be that much farther behind his peers if he had to do it all by building that comprehension and building his knowledge by his ability to read. And so it really highlighted that that this approach leveled the playing field, not just for him, but for our English language learners, for our students that maybe, um, Uh, have not had much experience with language and books and experiences with the world. It leveled the playing field for him. And so for us, we've seen that over and over again. Um, It's demonstrated in our data, but it's mostly demonstrated by the pride that our teachers demonstrate and our administrators have in saying, I just can't believe how much kids are interested in, and you name the topic, from the War of 1812 to the human body to the Renaissance period in fifth grade, it, it just over and over again, and you know we we had gone into this. I said earlier looking for something different, and when we found this this program, and we were talking about knowledge building over and over again, we said kids aren't going to be interested in that. They're not going to be able. These vocabulary words are not appropriate for us for them. Um, this content is too much above their head. It's boring. Every time we said something, our kids proved us wrong, over and over again, and so. You know, and again, like Ali, I have story after story, so I'll try to rein it in here a little bit to keep moving. But, you know, it has it has been phenomenal to see all kids in a second grade classroom, all kids reading second grade content. Some of them doing it better than others. Some of it, you know, some kids still working on it, but they were all reading content to practice their their foundational skills. So for us, it's really leveled the playing field. The Matthew effect, I I completely agree with that and i've seen it over and over again over the 25 years i've been doing this um and i'm just i think that we're i think what the work that that we're doing and others that are doing it uh, across the nation i think this is some of the most important work that we've ever done and some of the best work we've ever done to be honest with you yeah
1: yeah, I I've, I've, I would just add, I've talked to lots of other educators around the country and I have also heard lots of stories like yours. Um, they're very representative as far as I can tell. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how teachers have adjusted and, and how they're feeling about, because it's a big change for, for teachers. And as you mentioned, many teachers or are, are educators in general are skeptical. Kids aren't going to be interested in this. It's going to be too hard for them. Um, and so... Could you talk a little bit about how maybe teachers have reacted to, to this process and, and what their views are once they've gotten into this kind of curriculum? Matt, you can start, go ahead, jump I can, in. I
3: can start with that one. Um, so it's, I, I've seen people um, be reinvigorated to teach. I've had people tell me I love teaching reading again. Um, my kids are blowing me away. I had one person uh, said, I'm going to hold off on retiring so I can see this project through. Um, And she's just been a rock star for us. But I've seen their confidence grow. I saw it almost immediately when we were piloting and they started to see that something different happening in their classrooms. And teachers who were not in the pilot and were in a skill building pilot were slowly abandoning ship and saying, "I I want to get into that pilot. I want to do what my neighbor is doing. And so the confidence, the enthusiasm, the joy, uh, they're not married to the copiers any longer and they know what they're doing is working and it builds on the work of the teachers that they had had the kids last year and it builds on the work for the work of the teachers that come up next year. And it just made sense. So they felt like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this alone. I know what I'm doing is working. I'm seeing results like I've never seen before. And boy, I wish I would have known this you know, 10 or 15 years ago, the hardest part for this has been the, coming to the realization that what we were taught to do through the practices of balanced literacy and guided reading and whatever else through the skill building approach, we meant well, I, I haven't met a teacher that came into the profession not to do a good job. We meant well and we did what we were supposed to do based on our training. But we've come to the realization that we didn't have it right. And when we, we have to do something different, to be honest, Natalie, the knowledge gap was that key shift for me to say, I didn't realize there were others out there that felt this way. I didn't realize that this was a thing. Um, and that I had always felt that. Like I, I thought, I don't know if what I'm doing is working, but we're doing the very best we can. That's gone. We know what we're doing is working and we are just continuing to get better each and every day.
1: Allie, do you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, our teachers, um, you know, I don't know if it was as, they fell in love as quickly as maybe Matt described for his district. Um, you know, I I had teachers in my pilot um, a few years ago who said, I'm going to pilot this resource just so I can tell you how inappropriate it is for our students. Um of course, you know, uh three weeks in um when I came to visit their classrooms they were they were happy to admit that their students were more in love with it than they could have ever imagined, and you know we've we've kind of fallen in, but we were um we were a balanced literacy district with readers' workshop, writers' workshop, guided reading uh for twenty seven years prior to making the shift, so that it has been a huge. Change, especially for our veteran teachers and and like what Matt said, just coming into that acceptance piece and kind of having that grief of all of the for all of the students that you didn't teach this way, right. Um, I was a teacher in our district for first several years um I've taught kindergarten through fourth grade, and I live with that grief myself right like that that regret and that that struggle um but now that we're really seeing just how much our kids can accomplish even our struggling readers even our newcomers who you know everyone had probably the greatest concerns for just just because of language barriers and you know putting all these multisyllabic vocabulary words and concept like higher level concepts in front of them and how much are they going to be able to pick up? Um, you know, I had a first grade teacher reach out to me and say that she's absolutely blown away. She, she waited a few days to start her curriculum. Um, and then she finally got first grade kicked off and she says, never again will I wait to get started with our knowledge building curriculum because one of my newcomers, um, you know, they're doing a a unit on fables and just the opportunities for him to act out different parts of the fables and get involved. He's now starting to talk and starting to interact and starting to, um, participate. And, you know, we've got, we are an incredibly diverse group. And, and I love how you mentioned when you're looking for a resource, making sure that, um, the resources reflective, you know, uh, of multiple cultures, um, because, you know, we've got a, we've got a unit on ancient Asian civilizations with our resource and, you know, we don't have a significant Asian population in my district, but there, um, we, I mean, we definitely had, we definitely have that population represented from multiple countries. And I think one of my favorite favorite stories is a little girl who hadn't spoken. So all of unit one and like halfway through unit two, she had not really participated or spoken in class until they got to the lesson on Diwali. And all of a sudden she celebrates Diwali and she had a thousand things to contribute. And then her parents came in and her parents had never been into the school kindergarten, first or second grade and they were finally welcomed, you know like finally felt welcomed and comfortable enough to come in and share about their culture and their celebration, and the whole grade level has this huge party and Now here's this little girl who, for the first time, has felt seen and reflected um, because her culture was was shared so yeah.
3: and, and that exact same thing happened to us, and we do have a large Asian population. And our kids came alive. I had teacher after teacher tell me same exact thing. Hadn't heard a word, shy, kept in themselves. But this, it was the Diwali unit. They came alive and became the leaders. And what happened was a greater acceptance of them by the other kids, the other other, uh, kids in the classroom and the grade level about them. They understood them a little bit better. They were more knowledgeable. But it was that level of student engagement that kids felt accepted, and they saw themselves in the pages and the stories that were in the text. Um, and it, it that actually has had a ripple effect in our entire community, to be honest with you, um, because our population is growing so quickly from from that part of the world. It was an amazing thing to see.
1: That's, that's terrific. Also- go ahead, Allie, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to talk about the writing piece as well. Um, yeah. You know, I know we get into knowledge building and the comprehension side of things, but I feel like writing doesn't get its its time on the stage as much as it should. Um, so there's not a lot of people talking about what it's like to shift from a writer's workshop model with the mini lessons and the independent writing and the conferring into what it looks, what writing now looks like with a knowledge building curriculum. Um and honestly, our students have so much more to write about other like when once we've stepped away from only reading and writing about realistic fiction or personal experiences and actually giving them dense topics to read and then turn around and write about. They have so much more to write. I mean, I've I've had a, a different first grade teacher shoot me an email and said, never in a million years, when I signed up to teach, that anywhere, right, not just a KCK thing, but did I sign up to teach, never in a million years did I expect that a first grade student would write such a detailed, informative paragraph about the pasteurization of milk
1: in Louis Pasteur. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's impressive. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Have you seen changes in students' writing too? Now that they've got a content-rich curriculum,
3: we have it, it and it just makes so much more sense. It's same exact thing. You know, kids are writing more deeply, more informed, um, and you know, we 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 are very attentive to test scores as well, whether it's our local assessments or our state assessments. And we are we are seeing that validated in the writing portions. We don't have a separate writing test in Pennsylvania, but we do have a portion of our test, a large portion of our test that focuses on evidence based response. We call them text dependent analysis here. But essentially, the point is that kids have to read and make an an argument, cite evidence and so on. And we believed that that was going to be a key marker for our improvement long-term. That was going to be our strategy to get better. If we could get kids to get words lifted off the page and then actually get them to think about what they're writing or, and reading and respond to it through writing, everything else would come along. And that's exactly what's happening. We don't spend a ton of time teaching test preparation. Um, here's how you do this. Here's how you write a response. We see kids as early as kindergarten writing uh, uh, or not, if not writing, speaking about it, but in their kindergarten way, making evidence uh, matter, have, cite, making a stand on a, on a particular belief or topic and citing evidence from the text. And that just progressively gets more sophisticated as the kids get older, but we're constantly doing that. And the major way that we see that is through their writing um, and they become much more proficient. It wasn't easy because like Allie, we sh- we have shifted from a writer's workshop uh, model to uh this particular way and for us that's an area we're going to continue to develop you know that we know that writing uh is an area we want to do better with um and our kids can do it they're doing amazing work so we're just going to continue to grow with that but you know you can't separate the two and i've just seen time and time again where writing was that thing like science and social studies that we got to it if we had time it can't be that thing. It is the thing that we have to do. It's part of how kids learn to to be um, uh, readers and, and comprehend well. So it can't be that thing that we get to if we have time, and it can't be that thing that we get to and just do it willy nilly. It has to be well thought out and aligned to what's trying to what we're trying to build through reading comprehension. So again, it's a work yeah. in progress for us as well, but I'm pleased with where we're at overall.
1: Yeah. Great. When I was interviewing a teacher for the the podcast I hosted, she said, you know, people ask me, she's a first grade teacher, so when do you do writing? And she said, well, we we do it when we're learning about content. She said, you know, it's really hard for them to understand that. And it was hard for me to adjust to that too, but kind of seems like it makes sense. Um, So I also wanted to ask you, you know, when we were talking before in a pre-call, you were talking about teachers that Higher grade levels, um, noticing differences in the preparation of kids who are coming into sixth grade or or beyond. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I know Ali, you had a story about that.
2: Yeah, we had a pretty big celebration um, here recently. That our so personally, I've had sixth grade teachers. Which our elementary school is K five, so I don't particularly work with six through twelve teachers very often. So. It's a huge deal when I've got sixth grade teachers either finding me here at central office when they're visiting or emailing me personally or direct messaging me on Twitter to tell me that for the first time in however many years of teaching, the sixth graders that they received are suddenly more knowledgeable, more well-spoken, better written. Um, And, you know, we have only had... um, We've only been doing the knowledge building approach for five for a few years now. And a couple of those years were severely impacted by remote learning and COVID. Um, So to see that celebration is huge. And then um, we had the majority of our sixth graders make growth on their ELA state assessments last or this past spring as well. So I think it was somewhere in the 90s or something like something unheard of. Um, But everybody made gains. Um, So it's been really exciting to see that, you know, a lot of times you feel like when you make these curriculum shifts, you're going to have to wait until that first cohort of kindergartners get all the way through the program and into middle school before anybody kind of at the secondary level starts noticing um, all the work that you're putting in in elementary. And we've kind of we've experienced the opposite of that, that we are seeing growth in all grade levels, although the most impressive wins are in our kindergarten classrooms for sure than this year's first graders. Um, but to hear that our sixth grade teachers are noticing it um, with such short um, implementation happening for those students has been really inspiring as well and exciting just to watch how far they're, they're
1: gonna go. Yeah. Matt, have you seen anything similar yet in, in New York district?
3: We have, and we, um, Our literacy program is K through eight. So it is aligned all the way up through. When we first started, like Allie, we were interrupted by COVID. Um, We pressed on and did the very best we could. But what we saw uh, pretty quickly was kids building. They had that background knowledge already. So the conversations right after the first year, really into that second year, when they had just a little bit of background knowledge on the topic. It was different we could see it happening in classrooms the kids were much more engaged teachers were I, I remember one teacher telling me a story about a student who struggled to read but when he read the frankenstein unit he, he just was um he, he, the words were i felt like i was reading a real book was what the child said as an eighth grader because he had never been exposed to that he was a matthew effect kid he was leveled, and he was leveled thinking and he was leveled reading but he had that book and it was just an excerpt and, and, uh, but his words to the teacher was, I felt like I read a real book, but year after year that's gotten better for us. And like Ali, our most impressive gains are in our K three, really our K ones who really have had two solid, full uninterrupted years of, of our program. And, um, like Ali, our, our data is just in, it's incredible. And when we first ran it at the end of last year, I thought it was wrong. Uh, Because I was seeing percentiles, national percentiles I've never seen before. So I went back and looked at it again. I looked year after year. It was right. And it matched other data sets that we were getting from our assessment systems. It matched what our teachers were telling us. But when I say better, I'm saying in the 95th percentile nationally and higher on the NWEA MAP assessment, which has been a great tool for us. So, you know, it's, it does take time. That first year was hard because the background knowledge wasn't there, but every year it has gotten better for us. And uh, we just think it's going to continue to get better year after year.
1: Great. Well, I wanna allow time for questions um, from the audience. So um, Laura uh, or someone I, I think has been uh, screening questions and is now, are there some questions, Laura, to, uh, to pass along? Yes, we have a couple.
0: And I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much, Allie and Matt, for sharing your experiences with us. Uh, there's something so beautiful about hearing real stories from real educators, especially when they can bring a smile to your face. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experiences with us today. Uh, we do have a couple of questions that I'm hopeful that you all can answer. Um, one question is uh, about scaffolding. So what, scaffolds, what are scaffolds your teachers have provided so that Students with gaps in foundational skills and knowledge can access grade-level texts.
2: So what we plan for um, with our teachers, especially those intermediate teachers, you know, who the students have, you know, not had the strongest foundational skill instruction from K-1-2 because of our change in approach to reading, um, we basically rely on our oral reading fluency screener. We use FastBridge CBM reading um, for that and kind of looking at our kids who can read grade-level text, who's, who could probably read grade-level text with a little bit of support versus who are my students that are really going to struggle. And so when it comes time to get into those readers and get into that grade-level text, letting the kids who can read independently go read independently and maybe setting up some sort of reciprocal teaching structure there for them to kind of get into a discussion and work together, but still doing the reading independently or using those stronger readers as partners for kind of your mid range readers as well. And then knowing that you're going to have that smaller group of students um, who can't access the grade level text independently and pulling them to the teacher table um, to read aloud with them um, or to use some sort, if, you know, if there's a large population of students like that kind of alternating days between, um, students who use the read aloud function on one to one devices versus those who are working with the teacher so that you're kind of, um, working your way through those just to put, put that scaffold in place for the independent reading portions of the lessons. Great.
0: Thank you, Matt, Natalie, anything you you'd like to add there?
3: I mean, again, the scaffolds were definitely more needed um, early on. Um, We're at a point now where we have um, worked with our schedules substantially in all of our buildings to provide small group instruction in reading and in math every day um, for all kids at every single level of achievement. So we are also an M-Class amplified Burst uh, intervention, M-Class Intervention um, District as well that has been an incredibly helpful tool. Where that data that we're collecting is being used to prescribe instruction for teachers to use in a very systematic and direct way with ongoing progress monitoring that makes sense. It's taken the lift and the heavy work off of teachers to allow them to teach with effective tools. And that has been incredibly helpful for us. We saw 88% of our K to 2 kids reading on grade level or above by the end of last school year. And our first reaction was that's great. Well, let's get everybody else. Can, how much closer can we get to 100? And so that's been our mission uh, to do it. But, you know, we try to remind folks all the time, this is a big change and it takes time to get it right. It's, gonna, it's going to take time to see those results um, and, you know, to be patient and allow for themselves to slow down. I don't know you know to help it to to just allow them the flexibility to to be okay. It it will come in time, but it's not going to happen overnight. There will be bumps along the way, but if you stay true to it and you do your homework and you ask the why and you understand the why, it gets better every day that you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. It makes sense.
0: That's so great. I think that actually leads us quite nicely to our next question, which I think you may have already mostly answered, Matt which is what advice can you share with teachers who are new to a program like Amplify CKLA and maybe looking for help with balancing how much content and how many topics it covers?
3: Yeah, I, I can hit that one first. the fact that you're even here, you know, I always like to know why people come to events and to talk about Amplify and knowledge building curriculum. Why are you here? You know, there's a reason why educators are here. There's a reason why we switched. And maybe it's because, you know, folks got tired of, of not seeing kids grow and, and just the challenges that we experienced all those years. Um, but the, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is be patient, trust the process, understand the why, and realize that it's okay. Like, it, like Allie, I think about the hundreds of teachers I've worked with over many years and the thousands of kids that I led uh, in an approach that we are not following any longer. And, I th- and that's a hard reality to, to come to. But each and every day, we're trying to do better. Like, that's in the past. And it's okay to say, well, I just got that gut check from reading the knowledge gap. Well, I'm going to do better about it. And so allowing themselves, the, 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 giving themselves a pass to say, okay, I did that. And I did, very, I did the very best I could. But it's okay to do something different, even if it makes me uncomfortable. But always seeking the why. Why am I doing that? Why is this prompt asking me this question? Why is this lesson set up that way? So that you truly understand the science behind how reading works.
2: Well put. Allie, Natalie, anything you'd like
1: to add? Allie, do you, you have something you'd like to add? I mean, I, I, could, I could just jump in and say, um, I, you know, I, I know it can seem like there's a huge amount of content in CKLA, there is. Um, but one thing that can help is writing instruction that focuses both the teacher's attention and the kid, students' attention on what is it that you want kids to retain, and, and also um, so with writing to reinforce that. Also one thing that I've heard and I've noticed is that to some extent a, a curriculum like CKLA that spirals back to certain important topics is going to do the work for you of figuring out what's important. You know, it's not like kids have to remember everything in every unit um, because the important things are going to come back later. But Allie, do you have anything to add? It's great. Yeah,
2: I think in regards to just pacing either throughout the year or when it breaks down to, like within a lesson, it's always important to remember to not cut entire components, but instead look for ways to consolidate individual components, right? So each lesson will have three to five lesson components, and we never want to delete an entire piece, but looking for ways to shorten within until those teachers are better at pacing themselves to get through a lesson in the allotted amount of time, which then dominoes into, can I get through all of the content within a school year? Um, So definitely getting down to that individual component lesson, like or lesson component measure, and just using a timer and practicing and making sure that we can get through that content. Because like Natalie said, it's not its not about um, having a high level of mastery of every single piece of information within the unit. It is really about getting the gist of that unit um, as far as the content piece. So sometimes I see teachers kind of hang on too tightly and want to keep going on, expand a lesson over multiple days until they can get all of their kids to learn all of the things and it's okay to, to keep it moving.
0: That's great, thank you so much. Uh, we are almost at time, so I'm so sorry we're not able to get to all of your questions. I will just quickly share, um, Natalie, Allie, and Matt, we're all kind enough to share their Twitter accounts, so you can connect with them there. I'll post them in the chat in just a moment. Um, and we have a little bit more to share with you before you go. Uh we also have a podcast. Uh, Amplify is launching the eighth season of our science of reading the podcast and is going to be focusing on knowledge. So if you enjoyed what we had to share here, uh, definitely t- take a listen, subscribe. We're, we're just about at 5 million downloads, too. And we've had Natalie on a couple of times as well. It's really a great resource. Um, definitely encourage you to check it out. Uh, We also have a couple other Amplify-sponsored Ed webinars next week. Please join us to hear from Rebecca Abbott from the University of California, Berkeley's Lawrence Hall of Science, to hear about what it means to teach scientists for both you and the scientists. Uh, That will be next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then later on in October, we're hosting a webinar uh, about multi-tiered systems of support. So we're going to be having Dr. Tim Odegaard, Dr. Jennifer Zosky, and Dr. Denny Basaraba talking about establishing multi-tiered systems of support to prevent and remediate reading difficulties. That is going to be in early October. I want to take a moment again to thank all of you for joining us today, particularly Matt, Ali, and Natalie, and everyone who took an hour out of your day to join us. I know for some of you it's past your, uh, your, the end of your workday, so we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for attending. Thank you again to Natalie, Ali, and Matt, and to all of you for joining us here. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and
2: a wonderful semester.
0: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar
1: archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.